So we're going to go on a journey this morning, and you'll need your Bibles open uh, in front of you. We're going to go right from the beginning, right to the end, and stop somewhere in the middle. Is that okay? Yeah? So if you want to put your finger at Genesis 1, which is on page 3, and your finger at Revelation 21, uh, which is on page uh, 1,249, and then your finger as well at Matthew 9. How many fingers have you got? Is that all right? You can use a service sheet and, you know, go in the middle as well. So we're going to go on a journey from the garden to the city through the cross. From the garden to the city through the cross. So far in this Just Jesus series, we've seen how Jesus is divine, fully God and yet also fully human. The God-man. We've seen how he displayed his emotions, defended the weak, was graceful, extreme, relational and confrontational. And today we're looking at Jesus and wholeness. We live in a broken world. The contemporary Jewish prophet, Robert Zimmerman, once detailed the list of things that were broken. It was taken up um, later on by Bob Dylan, who sang these words. Everything is broken, he said. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. Broken bodies, broken bones, broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath, feel like you're choking. Everything is broken. Broken treaties, broken vows, broken hands on broken plows. Broken pipes, broken tools, people bending, broken rules. Everything is broken. Bob Dylan sang those words on an album appropriately entitled, Oh Mercy. We live in a broken society which exists in a broken world, which is part of the broken human condition. The bad news is that everything is broken. And today, as we look at wholeness, we wrestle with the fact that this is not how God created or wants it to be. Firstly, God created the world whole and created us as human beings for wholeness. Secondly, that this wholeness was destroyed soon after creation and that we have struggled with this as humans ever since. Thirdly, that Jesus came bringing wholeness again, which is now outworked in a partial coming of his kingdom. And finally, it's a wholeness, a completeness that we've already sung about this morning that will be only fully outworked at the end of time for eternity when we will see what real wholeness is really like. You can summarize this as a journey from the garden to the city through the cross, and that's the journey we're going to go on this morning. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, verse 10. But what did he mean by life to the full, or a complete life, or a whole life? Well, to find out, we need to go back to the beginning, to creation, to Genesis chapter 1. So put your finger in there now, where we find a picture of what God intended for us and therefore what wholeness or completeness is really like. In the early chapters of Genesis, we see how life was meant to be lived. Dave gave a fantastic representation of it this morning. A fullness and wholeness that are characterized by four things. A right relationship with God a right understanding of who we are, a right relationship with our neighbor, and a right relationship with creation. 
This is an amazing picture as right at the beginning of the time, of time, in the beginning, the creative power of our almighty God who flung stars into space breaks in, bringing wholeness and completeness out of chaos. If you saw Doctor Who last night, you saw the planets flung into disorder. Our God brought order out of chaos, wholeness and completeness out of chaos. God's work of creation was, above all, the establishment of wholeness in all the created order. And when God saw all his work of creation, in verse 3, God pronounced that it was good. Indeed, very good. Everything God created was perfect just as he intended to be. There was a right relationship between God and Adam and Eve. A human being was not a solitary figure separated from God, nor a defiant rebel against the creator. Rather, he was the crown of God's creation, a being in full harmony with God. The relationship Adam and Eve had with God was that of complete trust, loyalty, faith, and obedience, no baggage for them weighing them down. Adam and Eve walked in intimacy with God, enjoying one another, knowing no shame, working in harmony with creation. Here there was no struggle for a quiet time, no forgetting to pray. They walked in Him with the cool of the evening. There was a right understanding of who they were, made in the very image of God, blessed to be fruitful, to fill the earth and subdue it, and created to be in relationship with God and their fellow human beings. Here, there was no lying, no sin, no pretense, no shame, no depression, no suicides, no drugs, no low self-esteem. There was a right relationship between them and their fellow human beings, which is best exemplified by the relationship of man and woman as portrayed in the first two chapters in Genesis. Man and woman, created in the image of God, harmonious partners in their common tasks, enjoying the same blessings with equality and a clear understanding of their different and equally important roles. And lastly, there was a right relationship between man and creation. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here there was no plundering of resources, no selfish usage of the earth's riches, but rather a common understanding of the need to steward the earth and take care of it. Later on, the Israelites would look back at this time and look forward as well and would dream of this closeness with God, their neighbour and creation being restored. They would dream of a new age in which crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish would be made wise, the wise humble. They would dream of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would stream with red wine, a time when weeping would be heard no more and when people could sleep without weapons on their laps. People could work in peace, their work having meaning and purpose. A lion could lie with the lamb. All nature would be fruitful and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. There's shouts of joy and recognition welling up from the valleys and the crags, from women in streets, and from men at their work. Wow. What a vision. What a vision of the wholeness, of the completeness that actually God wants for us. This vision of the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in complete wholeness. And the Old Testament prophets 
had a word for it. They called it Shalom. Most of us know the word Shalom as a Jewish greeting. Shalom Alekem, which means peace be with you. But it actually means much, much more than just peace be with you. In fact, Shalom is one of the most significant theological terms in the whole of Scripture. More than that, it's one of the deepest desires common to people everywhere. It doesn't refer to the quiet that comes over the house when the kids are in bed. It doesn't refer to the absence of war. It isn't a stillness at the end of the day. Shalom is much more than that. Shalom is what we're looking for. Aaron used it in a greeting to the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. English is such a weak language here. We call it peace. But it means far more than peace of mind or ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight, a rich state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder. It is a shalom that was present in the Garden of Eden. Shalom, which means for our physical condition, health. For our material condition, fertility and good harvest. For our personal relationships, goodwill and harmony. For our international relationships, amity and alliance. For community, unity and oneness in purpose. Shalom. A picture of wholeness. And yet, all these harmonious relationships of shalom were tragically shattered by one single act of rebellion on the part of human beings. Out of the arrogant hubris to be like God, human beings defiantly disobeyed the command of God. This rebellious disobedience, which you can read about in the early chapters of Genesis, resulted in the complete and utter destroyal of Shalom. This breakdown of Shalom with God had a shattering effect on our relationship with him, but also on the relationship which existed between man and woman, which came to be replaced by the relation of domination and subordination. You can read about it in Genesis 3.16. The relation of shalom among human beings turned into one of hatred and violence, as shown in the fratricidal story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. The broken shalom of human beings with their creator and with their fellow creatures ultimately led to the destruction of shalom between humankind and creation as well. The ground began to to bring forth thorns and thistles, Genesis 3.18. And human beings, in turn, became wanton exploiters and ruthless plunderers. In short, the defiance and arrogance of human beings alienated us from God, which consequently resulted in the breaking of shalom in the order of creation. Humankind became separated from the Creator, from each other, and from their natural world. There was no going back into the Garden of Eden. History doesn't go backwards, only forwards. The wholeness of God's creation, Shalom, was broken into chaotic fragmentation. Everything was broken. And now all that the whole creation could do was await the coming of the one who would restore the broken Shalom to its original wholeness. And into that situation, into our brokenness, when the fullness of time was come, God sent his Son, Jesus, on a rescue mission to restore wholeness. He is the one who came to heal the broken relations and recover the lost shalom. In the Gospels, we read of how Jesus 
by his work of reconciliation on the, on the cross, restores shalom in heaven and on earth. God was on a mission through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.20 Jesus becomes our peace, our shalom, who breaks down the wall of hostility between humankind and God. Hallelujah. Oh, someone's still awake. Hallelujah. With the coming of Jesus, the way was open for the restoration of the lost shalom to humankind. This is the reason why at Jesus' birth, the angels of heaven sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth, shalom, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Jesus Christ is the great restorer, the great restorer, the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. That was Jesus' mission, the repair of shalom, the restoration of rightness in our relationship with God. His message when he was here was, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He began and finished the work that would one day completely bring restoration to the whole creation, to the whole of mankind. Everything he did while on the earth was a beginning of the recreation that will culminate in the new heavens and the new earth, the final return of ultimate and eternal shalom. And we can read about that in Revelation chapter 21. And Frank's going to come and read that to us as we hear a picture of what it will be like. What it will be like when, rest, when wholeness is restored. What it will be like when fullness comes again. What it will be like when the fullness of the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of heaven, comes once more. Thank you. Okay, this is the uh, book of Revelation, chapter 21. You should all have your fingers in it by now, I would hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. 
One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full, the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So here we see a fantastic picture of no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Of a city that is so full of the presence of God, where God walks with his people, that there doesn't need to be a temple, a church. The city doesn't need the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And so you see shalom at the beginning of time in the garden. Shalom at the end of time in the city. And in his life and work, Jesus was ushering in part of this new creation, a new earth. Restoring wholeness, opening up the opportunity for us to come under his glorious kingdom rule. Jesus touched every part of people's lives as he brought in wholeness, his shalom, his kingdom. Throughout his ministry, we see him him bringing a foretaste of heaven to earth almost as if shafts of light erupted on each scene as he walked the highways and byways of Galilee, bringing hope, bringing healing, bringing wholeness, 
bringing forgiveness of sins and salvation. And we want to look at a moment at that passage we read earlier in Matthew chapter 9. An example from Jesus' ministry of the ushering in of this wholeness. What did it look like for this bit of heaven to come to earth? Let's go back to the reading of the, um, Jesus healing the paralyzed man. And I want you to notice a few things. First of all, we notice in verse 2 that Jesus' healing of the man starts with forgiving his sins and restoring a right relationship with God. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. This wasn't because Jesus didn't notice that the man was paralyzed. It wasn't because he couldn't see that that was his greatest physical need. But actually that he realized that this is the starting point of wholeness for us. A right relationship with God. No wholeness is possible without this. We cannot progress past the starting line without having a right relationship, a personal relationship with God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He's not only interested in spiritual wholeness, but social wholeness and physical wholeness as well. As a Jew who is crippled, the man is religiously unclean and socially isolated. By being healed, he's restored to the wholeness of community. How appropriate that this return to the community and deliverance from bondage for him and being brought into relationship with God occurs on the Sabbath. A day for making all things whole, for the restoration of God's good creation. But there is another aspect to the healing of the paralytic. Here is a man who has been paralyzed. His healing is not accomplished by surgery or braces through GPs and the NHS. Rather, it is a miracle. For the early church and for us as Christians, it is a sign of the inbreaking of God's kingdom and of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. The kingdom is here. The kingdom has broken in. God's rule has begun. His perfect, life-bringing, transforming kingdom has finally come in Jesus, showing that the restoration of wholeness is possible once more. The restoration of shalom is possible. From this we see that Jesus' mission was by nature and definition all spiritual work. As Michael Green states, the raising of the dead, the cleansing of the menstruous woman, the healing of the sick, the opening of the eyes of the blind are all messianic activities. They are signs of the presence in the world of the promised salvation. Furthermore, they make abundantly plain that the concern of Jesus was with the whole man and afford no justification whatsoever for the disjunction between the physical and the spiritual, the sacred and the secular, that has long typified the church doctrine of salvation. But for now, for us today, where is this wholeness? Where is this shalom which seems so elusive? After all, we're now fallen creatures in a fallen world, and there seems to be a veil between the reality that we experience with our five senses and the kingdom of heaven that Jesus ushered in. One day the veil will cease to exist, and the full manifestation of the kingdom of heaven will be displayed on the face of the earth, changing everything to align with the perfect shalom of God. But until then, what we can say is that the kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God has started to come, ushered in by Jesus. The difference between Christians and an unbeliever is that our spirits and our souls have been changed and aligned with that kingdom already. We have begun to experience wholeness and shalom. Wow. 
The recreation has already taken place in who we are and is continuing to take place as we are changed into his likeness by the living word of God. We are creatures inhabiting both worlds, walking the line between heaven and earth. And because of this, and this is really exciting, God wants us to be the conduits for heaven to break into earth. We can be the way the shalom of God can come to parts and places in this chaos of earth. Only Jesus can do this, working in and through us by his Holy Spirit. Only through Jesus' work on the cross have we been enabled to live in this place of intercession, standing between heaven and earth, pleading with God to realize through us the kingdom in manifestation, praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we go on, to look at how we can be part of bringing this wholeness to earth. I just want to stop and say today, as you sit in this church, that you may not know this peace, this shalom, this healing, this wholeness. For you today, everything is broken. Today, tragedy, busyness, and just life may have just knocked you off balance. You may be experiencing anything but peace. You may be asking, there must be more than this, to life. You may be longing to experience a sense of wholeness and healing inside. We long for the sense that all is well inside, no matter what is going on around us. We want that sense that our inner world is experiencing health and healing, even if the world around us is falling apart. Ted had just returned from a business trip and went to get his luggage at the baggage area of Gatwick Airport, a place, unfortunately, that I've been many times. Almost everyone had gotten their luggage, but there was one man older than Ted, slowly making his way towards his bags, which were just behind Ted's on the conveyor belt. Ted figured he could beat the older man and grab his bags before they cycled through the canvas flaps into the back room. Ted's health condition makes him a little shaky on his feet. As he reached for his bag, he becomes dizzy, loses his balance, and falls into, onto the stainless steel snake carrying his bag. So there he was, flat on his back, hanging tightly to the handle of his suitcase over his head and riding the conveyor belt through the flaps into the darkness beyond. Several thoughts were going through his mind. I've been wanting to do this for years. I could get arrested. Now is probably not the best time to get off. So he rode the belt, still gripping his suitcase, till he and his bag passed through the flaps again into the light. At this point, he looked up into the face of an official-looking woman who said, you're not supposed to do that. To which she replied, have you tried this? And she bellowed, no. And he said, don't. Then he swung his feet to the floor, tightened his grip on the suitcase handle, stood on the edge of the conveyor belt and walked off. I don't know if you ever feel like your life is like falling on that conveyor belt. Sometimes fun, sometimes out of control, sometimes a little chaotic. Maybe you get the feeling that you want to get off. Life has a way of knocking us off balance and taking us where we don't want to go. Sometimes we slow down enough to know that we want more. Maybe you can relate to what Henry David Thoreau was looking for when he moved to Walden Pond. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and to see if I could learn what it had to teach me and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. You meet some people, don't you, who seem to have found that peace can be very annoying. It's not because their lives have been easier, 
They have often been through far worse things than we could imagine. But when you look into their eyes, you see that there's a calm and a sense of wholeness that there, that's intact even in the middle of crazy circumstances. Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. He came to bring a kingdom of wholeness and healing to us, even in the most unbelievable circumstances. He's come to bring that to his people by destroying our enemy, Satan, who Jesus calls a liar and a murderer. He came to bring us life, and life in all its fullness. He came to save us and restore us, so that that sense of wholeness and fullness of life might be ours. You're going to go through tough times. Nobody is immune. Maybe you're going through tough times today. Jesus is the Prince of Wholeness, who brings peace to us even in the worst of circumstances. Jesus said, I'm leaving with you a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's shalom. It's shalom. It's a peace with God. Here's the thing about us. We want that shalom. We want that peace. We long for that sense of well-being and wholeness. But we're not capable of producing it for ourselves. We're incapable of getting what we long for the most. It almost seems impossible to be true that a living God could give us that peace today. It's like asking us to believe in the tooth fairy. This lack of trust in an almighty God is reflected in the story of a nine-year-old boy returning from Hebrew school who tells his mother about the day's lesson. Well, the rabbi told how God sent Moses behind the enemy lines to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. When they came to the Red Sea, Moses called for the engineers to build a pontoon bridge. After they had all crossed, you notice this, I was wrong. After they, they had all crossed, they looked back and saw the Egyptian tanks coming. Quick as a flash, Moses radioed headquarters on his walkie-talkie to send in the bombers to destroy the bridge. And that's how he saved the Israelites. His mother, astounded, said to the boy, David, is that really the way the rabbi told that story? Well, not exactly, Mum, but if I told you it told it to you his way, you'd never believe it. (laughs) The story is humorous because it's all true. When things are bigger than our own life experience, we translate them into what we consider to be understandable dimensions. The danger in doing this is that when we translate God's acts, we are, by our own limited understanding, diminishing who God is. We diminish the possibility of peace in our lives, of shalom with our Creator. We diminish the one who has the power to give it to us, Peace, lasting peace, transcends the situations and flaws of our own personal lives because it doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It comes through Jesus. The prophet Isaiah wrote, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Trusting in God means recognizing him and giving him his rightful place in our lives. We must also accept the agents of, agent of peace he has provided, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness. His kingdom brings hope and health and peace to his people. His kingdom has started, but it's not yet fully present. Already, though, we can experience his peace One of the qualities that the Holy Spirit produces in us is peace. This is what Jesus came to this earth to bring us. He came to give us peace. Let's pray. I want you to give you an opportunity to 
understand and experience that peace today. To know that you can understand that wholeness. To know that you can come into a right relationship with God. A relationship with your neighbour and with creation. And if you don't know that peace, I want you to just pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm not at peace with you. That I've sinned and I want to ask your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins because I want to know your peace, your shalom, your wholeness in my life. And I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In your name. Amen. And if you want to know that peace, then we'd be delighted just to talk to you and pray with you as the service comes to an end this morning. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who is already bringing health and wholeness to people within his kingdom. This is just the start of what he is doing. You are a part of a stream of wholeness that is streaming across the entire world. This world is longing for this shalom right now. The Bible says that God will sweep this shalom over the entire world. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. We're in the in-between period. We've seen the start of his kingdom, but it's not fully here yet. We're still waiting for this peace to come to the entire world. But it started. We get to be at the beginning of seeing what the kingdom of Christ will look like. We get to be at the beginning of seeing what the kingdom of Christ will bring. It's coming. His ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. Isaiah 9 verse 7. Not everyone worships him now. Not everyone joins his kingdom. But some do. Some do. And I invite you to enter the kingdom of the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Shalom, who brings healing and wholeness and health. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those upon whom his favour rests. You know, when the Christian church proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, it's not simply an affirmation of faith, but it's a clear call to action. We can't keep this peace and wholeness, this shalom to ourselves. We can't remain silent. As faithful followers of the Prince of Peace, we're called to be shalom makers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the shalom makers, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. Shalom is not only a gift of grace restored for us through Jesus Christ, but also a task and a responsibility entrusted to all who are rightly called children of God. Peacemakers are not simply peaceable and peaceful persons. They are those who actively and earnestly endeavour to make peace, to make shalom, to bring wholeness here and now. We're called to be signs and instruments of the kingdom of heaven in this world, still torn with strife and violence, warped with injustice and opposition, divided with enmity and hostility. Where then do the works of shalom making begin? How do we make shalom in this world? Wherever shalom is broken and lost, that is where we can start to work. There are numerous areas in today's world that call for our effort of shalom making. But the follow-up 
following are a few which particularly cry out for our collective efforts. The first is prayer. Begin with prayer. Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom, his wholeness, his lordship would come in our lives. Thy kingdom come, we pray. Thy will be done, we pray. On earth as it is in heaven, amen. This isn't just a hope for the future, but a hope for now. Your kingdom come in on earth. This vital call is one that has started revivals around the world. Are we really serious about praying? Your kingdom come to earth as in heaven. Do we really want that? If we do, why do our actions sometimes betray us? Secondly, when a society is fragmented between the privileged and underprivileged, the powerful and the powerless, there is no shalom. When political power is misused and abused for the benefit of the powerful and the freedom of the common people is suppressed and curtailed arbitrarily, there is no shalom. We have to be more alert to the cries of the oppressed, the cries of the poor, the victims of political, economic and social injustice and repression. And we need to... Our post-industrial age, it also means dealing with sexual discrimination and inequality. The domination of man over woman. And inversely, the submission of woman to man is not the created order of shalom, but a telling sign of the fallen state of humankind. When we proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ as good news, we celebrate the beginning of the victory of the new creation over the fallen order. Fallen order. As St. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Women and men in Christ are to live in openness to the gift of this new creation. And we're summoned to the task of healing and restoring the broken relationship between men and women to the relationship of shalom that God intended at creation. The Redeeming Eve course is a great example of how this church can be influential in restoring a proper image of women in today's society. And much more needs to be done. Being shalom makers also means restoring a right relationship between ourselves and creation. Biblical faith refutes both the idolatry of nature and wanton exploitation of it. Lately, however, Christianity has been unfairly blamed as responsible for the present ecological and environmental crisis. It is important to realize that God's command to humankind to subdue and have dominion over nature is no license for an unlimited ravaging and careless spoiling of our natural world. Rather, the elevated position of humankind as the image of God is a call to responsible stewardship in the care of nature. A dominion over nature should only be exercised in such a way that it represents the benevolent rule of God over nature. We need to work with others for the preservation of the natural order, its beauty and resources, and should join and lead the fight against any irresponsible, greedy plundering and pillaging of nature. Never has this been more needy than today. Fighting the green issue is spiritual work that is the proper engagement of the Church of Jesus Christ. From recycling to responsible use of energy, from cycling to work to owning chickens and an allotment, from supporting the World Wildlife Fund to caring for our natural green spaces and parks. This is all God's work, all spiritual work, all part of the mission of God. And so today as we close, let us affirm our faith in Jesus Christ and renew our commitment to be faithful followers of the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace, who summons us to make Shalom in this world where everything is broken, and who empowers us to carry out the task entrusted to us with this word of assurance. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Nor as the world gives do I give to you. The wholeness that Jesus brings is a wholeness that leaves no place unreached. It reaches up to the heavens, the moon and the stars, reaches into the darkest parts of our lives and societies. God is on a mission to bring shalom and wholeness to the refugee, the poor, the marginalized, the homosexual, the pimp, the prisoner, the free. He knows our darkest secrets, our struggles and our pain. And he just says, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. My peace I leave with you. It's a peace that restores, a peace that brings wholeness, a peace that breaks down barriers, a peace that heals and brings hope. My peace I leave with you.